flowers, flowers, so that should make it great. <laughs> and short. And short. <laughs> I'm pleased to have Alan here, and so on behalf of Jill, I just wanted to do a quick intro. Uh, I think we've probably known him maybe longer than anyone else here, although many of you probably know and have known him well through trips to Peru and uh, opportunities to hear him speak to our fellowship. Bill made a comment that uh, Alan was from somewhere in Indiana, uh, <laughs> but that was totally wrong. He's from the center of Indiana, which is West Lafayette, Indiana, in the home of Purdue University. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to clear that up. I'm sorry, I missed some of that. It would actually be the center of the Midwest. Okay. Uh, so before we became uh, members of the PAC, Jill and I lived in Indiana at West Lafayette for 15 years. All of our daughters were born there. And so uh, it is considered kind of a homeland to us. We became familiar with Alan through marriage. And uh, his wife is uh, a wonderful young woman, Diet. Uh, we got to know Diet quite well with her work in missions and uh, her stop in West Lafayette by way of Oregon. And we knew that for any guy to marry Diet had to be a very special guy. And uh, Alan sure is that very special guy. Uh, he has spent um, how many years? In 31 years with Wycliffe. Wycliffe, okay. Yeah. How many years in Cameroon? I was 18 years in Cameroon. 18 years in Cameroon. Ministering to the Molokai? In the last 10 years, the Moloko people. Moloko yeah. people. I told you this was unrehearsed. <laughs> and uh, he really transformed that whole society, that whole culture. And I, I'm just amazed to see the work that he has done through God. Uh, he's gifted, gifted linguist. It's amazing how uh, he works so well uh, with not only relationships, but language and communicates so deeply with words and with the spirit. And uh, I've always been pleased to have him at our home. Uh, whenever he comes, he's always praying over us, praying over our daughters, praying specifically into things that our daughters we're experiencing at that time. Alan has uh, three children of his own. I think they all live in West Lafayette. No. Okay, see? Oldest. <laughs> My facts are eroding quickly. Right? I just knew about the center of Indiana. And I'll let you take over okay. with all the other details. Right. Thank you. You are star. He's well-named. And uh, his work is going forth uh, with great power to fan to flame young people, uh, college-age people, into doing mm. that special work of reaching people through their language for Christ. So, yes. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, man. Thanks. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Doing all right? It's um, really is a, a special privilege to come and, and to speak to Gateway Christian Fellowship. Um, I was here about two years ago and greeted everybody, and then I heard through different people, hey, maybe it'd be great for Alan to come back and, and, and speak and and uh, so I want to share a little bit about the, what I do with Wycliffe, take a few minutes to talk about that, um, but also share a little bit from the Word as well this morning. Wayne, Wayne uh, talked about my family. Uh, many of you know Peter. Peter and I were, were able to go to Peru together. When we had a, a King's Kids team, 
at the church there in Upper Room Christian Fellowship in West Lafayette, Indiana, um, on two different sum, summers, uh, several from our church were able to attend. Uh, Caleb, my oldest son, is no longer in West Lafayette. He's at, he's in uh, at Indiana University, the other university opposed to <laughs> Purdue, uh, but he's in a in a PhD program down there in Bloomington, and we're really rejoicing. He's going to get married uh, at the end of the year, literally. December 31st, looks like. But, um, and yeah, and he'll continue studying biochemistry at Indiana University. Peter is uh, a junior at Purdue University. He's left his heart in Africa, and he's going to be going back. The mm-hmm. Lord gave him another opportunity in May to go and, and do a three-week May Master trip with Purdue uh, through his studies, and he did development work. He's studying mechanical engineering technology to be able to go back to Africa and help people. He's a hands-on guy. He's a real people person, and uh, is loving. He's in a really good place. Really thankful. Uh, all three of our kids. Kate graduated from high school and is now doing a gap year, uh, six months, starting with six months in Mexico with my older brother, who planted a church down in Mexico. And Diet uh, is is working at Purdue University. She would have liked to have been with me, and it just seemed like it. it wasn't going to work this time, but hopefully we'll be able to come together at some point. But I'm thankful for my family. Um, yeah. So there's there's a song. It's a really cool song. It's a good song, easy song, easy song that everyone can learn, and, and even the kids can learn. This song I I learned in Africa, and uh, and it speaks a truth that is so true. Right? He loves me so much. We know that God loves us, right? We know that because of the Word of God in our own language. But to sing this song is really cool. Uh, so we're going to learn it real, real quick. Everybody gets to sing, all right? We'll sing it all together. He loves me so much. He loves me so much. He loves me. My Lord Jesus loves me so much. He loves me so much. He loves me so much. He loves me, my Lord Jesus loves me so much. He loves me so much. He loves me so much. He loves me, my Lord Jesus loves me so much. So we got we got that down right in English. We're going to sing it in French. So I learned this in, in Cameroon. Cameroon is one of the only countries in Africa that's bilingual. French and English are the official languages, the languages of education. And once we sing it a couple times in French, you just kind of pick it up. You don't necessarily speak French, but it's not it's not hard. We could do it in Spanish too, but French is what I I learned it in English and French in Cameroon, and then uh, we'll sing it we'll sing it in Moloko, the language we were privileged to work in, Moloko, and, and you'll pick that up sort of okay as, as well. It's it's pretty a, a simple song. I'll, I'll talk a little more about it once we sung it. A couple of times. He loves me so much. He loves me so much. He loves me. My Lord Jesus loves me so much. He loves me so much. He loves me so much. He loves me. My Lord Jesus loves me so in French. He never tell more. He never tell more. He never Seigneur says you never tell more. He never tell more. Again, 
It's a powerful song. And one of the cool things about the song, I was in a pastor's conference in after serving in Cameroon many, many years, I was able to be one of the, the Wycliffe SIL reps at this conference. We had 40 pastors come from all over Cameroon. And we wanted those pastors to catch a vision for, for Bible translation. Cameroon has over 270 languages spoken in it. And in order for the Bible, the Bible to be translated into all those languages, it was going to take more than expatriate missionaries. We needed Cameroonians to catch this vision. And Cameroonians just go, well, how can we be a part? We want to be a part of this work. And I got to teach this song to all these pastors. And it was a cool thing because we sang it in Moloquo. And for Cameroonians, it was like it was pretty easy because they're already speaking two or three or four languages. Well, as soon as we sang in, in Moloko for like three or four times, one of the pastors says, can we do it in my language? And on the spot, he translated it into his language. And he'd sing it one time. And all the other pastors, everybody in the, would listen. And we joined in. We were singing it in his language. And then as soon as we sang it for a few minutes, you know, a minute in his language, we'd go into another language. We did it. We're singing for 15 minutes. Wow. 15 minutes. He loves me so much. And, and it's true. We know it's true. But there's something powerful about being able to sing it in your own language. Sing this truth in a language in your heart. And, and it, there was such joy in that room. They get to sing it in there. And he loves me so much. And here's the thing. There are lots of languages in the world. Anybody know how many languages there are? Almost 7,000 languages in the world. And, and I, I have the privilege. So I, I spent 18 years in Cameroon, Africa, um, working in Cameroon. But now the last nine years, I've lived in West Lafayette, Indiana. And what language do they speak? <laughs> yeah. What language is that? Now, Hoosier. Hoosier talk. And, and here's the thing, though. With 7,000 languages in the world, they're still... A lot of languages without the Bible. You see this? See that? What's your name? Henry. 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 What does that look like? Bible. This looks like a Bible. Then feel it. Feel it. Even it's got that nice leather leather cover, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Did you know? What do you think, Simon? Does that look like a real Bible? Kind of does, huh? Yeah. You know what that says? Holy Bible. Mm. It says Holy Bible on it. <laughs> that that this is the Bible. This is a cool thing now. This is the Bible in over 1,700 languages. Right here. 1,700 languages. This is what the Bible looks like in 1,700 languages. Right? This is what it is. Isn't that lovely? Isn't it? Isn't it, it just, that's what the Bible is in 1,700 languages. This, 
This is the Bible for 17, over 1,700 language groups. 165 million people. What What is it about this? It's blank. It's blank. What does that mean? They don't have Bible in every country. In 1,700. All those people don't have the Bible in their language. That's right. Here's, here's another, another way to look at that, right? What's this called? Holy Bible. Holy Bible, right? So if we, if we look at the, the Holy Bible, right? We say for these 1,700 people, people groups, 165 million people, this is what the Bible looks like. It's blank. It is. It's blank, right? Yeah. But, but here's the thing. In lots of places in the world, people go to church. Like you guys are in church today. They go to church, and church is in another language. It's not in their, the language they speak at home, right? So they go to church, and they try to understand. And it, it's a lot like this. They, they hear the words. They hear the words, but it, it, it kind of is hard for them to understand, right? So it's, it's kind of hard. It, there's pictures, right? Are there, is there any color? There's no color, right? This is this is the way it is for lots of people in the world. The Bible isn't in their own language. That's a problem, don't you think? Here's the cool thing. When when the Bible comes to people in their own language, this is what it looks like. It, it comes alive. Right? That's what it looks like when, when it's in their own language. They can understand it. And it and it is colorful. It makes sense to them, right? That makes sense? They can hear it, and they can think, oh, wow. That's what, that's what God wants to say to me today. If you can't hear the Bible in your own language, it's hard to understand it. Um, we, we translated the Gospel of Mark into in Moloko, into the Moloko language. Mark is almost all stories. So it's narrative text. Before you translate, you can study everything about a language. You study how the sound system works in order to develop an alphabet. These 1,700 languages, most of them don't even have a written language. They're only spoken, right? So you only speak it. That means you need someone needs to come and study it so they can write it down. And we did that with Moloko. You study how to write it. You study the grammar. The last thing you have to study is how do they do discourse? Discourse. How do they... How do they tell stories? So, narrative discourse. How are they going to tell stories in that language? And and we found out that for a Moloko story, it has to have onomatopoeia or idiophones, words that sound. Words that sound. What are some words that sound in English? Gurgling. Splash. What? Gurgling. Gurgling. Yeah, gurgling. <laughs> That's great. Splat. I, I think splat is a really good idiophone. You know, you can just see it, you threw the egg at the wall. Splat. <laughs> you, you, you know what it, what's what's a word that sounds? You know Rice Krispies? Crunch. Yeah, crunch. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. We we got to the book, the Gothic in, in Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six. What what's this a picture of? Can you tell what that's a picture of? There's somebody, there's a boat there, right? What do you think this picture of? What do you, you look? 
What's it look like? Jesus walking on the water. Jesus walking on the water. Yeah. That's so, yeah. <laughs> Jesus walking on the water. See, we've got to Mark chapter 6 in the last part of the chapter, last half of the chapter. It's the story of Jesus walking on the water. But the way, way it goes, right? Jesus and his disciples are rowing in the boat. They're rowing across the lake to get away from the crowds. They had to rest because they didn't have time to eat. There were so many people, right? But the people got there where they were going across the lake, got there ahead of them. Jesus got off that boat, and there were thousands of people there. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. They were people. They were in, So he, had to, he taught them. He taught them a really long time. It says he taught them for a very long time. They got really hungry, and he fed them all. Being of the 5,000. He sent the people away. He sent the people away. And he told the disciples, you roll back across the lake. And Jesus went up to the hills to pray. Right? Went up the hills to pray. And it says, then, early in the morning, Did you hear an idiot phone in that? Alright, I'm going to ask the kids, what do you think the the pot is. <laughs> Give it a guess. What do you think? You have an idea? Footsteps. You're right. That's right. It's the steps. <laughs> it's the steps. Yeah. So Duzagana early in the morning, Yesu Olalai, Jesus went, Kadriya Balinaka on the head of the water to pop, to pop, to pop on foot. So in Moloko, the tapat, tapat, tapat sounds, what does that sound like? Sandals hitting water, right? A Moloko person hears that and says, what happened next? That's a really good story, right? Here's the question, though. Is that in the Greek? Isn't it in the Greek? Is it accurate, though? Yes. Why do we need the tapat in there? It's a culture. It's the way they tell stories. If you don't tell stories the way they're telling stories, you're not communicating with them. In the way they communicate, are we communicating? Is the message really going to get through? Questionable whether it will be. You know, unless unless we're really communicating clearly in their own language. You know, and actually telling stories the way they tell stories, there's there's not understanding, right? And there's still 1,700 languages in the world that don't have the Word of God in their language. Nobody's even working in it. So I have the privilege of working still now for the last seven plus years, working here in the U.S., primarily in the state of Indiana, doing recruiting, recruitment work, motivating, helping people catch a vision for Bible translation, go to Christian college campuses primarily, and uh, and talk in those classes, talk to professors. I mean, I, I form relationships with professors. Professors invite me to come and speak to their students. God's given me the privilege of talking to hundreds of students every year mm-hmm. and challenging them. You can be a part of Bible translation. You can have a part in seeing the Word of God come to people in their own language. I tell that story to illustrate to students that the Word of God, we... we we can't just assume that it can be just be translated. You can trans if that story were translated on the spot. <laughs> so I'm I'm speaking in French and it's translated on the spot into Moloko. The tapat 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 wouldn't come. 
mm-hmm. it wouldn't come in the, in the translation. Because it's not in, you know, if you're doing immediate translation, um, it, that kind of story is told because someone spent some time thinking about how you tell stories in this language. And a, a, a good translation has to be accurate, has to be natural, and um, oh, and clear, accurate, clear, and natural. The hardest thing is to make it a natural story. Putting idiophones in a translation, it becomes natural. It's the way the Molokot tells stories. We're doing it the right way. That's the way they would communicate. That happens because you spend time talking to these people, understanding their language, and working with them to translate the scriptures. And again, there's still 1,700 languages in the world that, that don't have anybody working in them. And so there's a lot of work to be done, and there's a lot of... Uh, I get a lot of joy in actually being able to tell people about the word needing to be translated into the language of people. So it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Gearing up, first two weeks of September, I'll be on four different campuses with a national speaker, guy who, who goes all over the United States speaking about Bible translation. And we got one chapel talk, and we'll probably be in, hopefully be in 10 classes on every one of those campuses, speak to a bunch of people. Um, see, the, the work, this is, this is the latest of, that we have, of the work, the, the need of Bible translation. Africa having the most languages still, but Asia, not far behind really. And then the Pacific, Papua New Guinea, uh, and the Pacific Islands. Indonesia, but in Asia, just there's still several hundred languages. China, where where I was, was able to go to the capital city of Yunnan province. There are over a hundred languages spoken in that one province. It's concentrated, where the languages of of minority peoples are, and there's still some work in the Americas, in Oaxaca, the state of Oaxaca in Mexico. They say that it's one of the most densely uh, places on the face of the earth ethnically dense just in that one state there's like over 50 or 60 minority languages and many of them still need scripture uh, wanted to show a video because we we tend to I think it's it's hard sometimes for us to understand what it would be like to not have scripture in our language and the Gamo people uh, have from Ethiopia they saw the Jesus film and God spoke to them in their language uh, and this is, it's a powerful video to watch with the partners with the Jesus film and uh, and you'll just see here a brief showing the first time the premiere showing of the gospel according to Luke in the Gamo language. Well, Ruth and I were asked to be a part of uh, starting the projector for the first showing of this Jesus film. Just to know that there's people here who have never heard of Jesus. And now they're going to get to see him and hear him talk in their own language. That's the amazing part to me. Look at us, you guys. 
I was just awestruck by the number of people that were present. Probably we would guesstimate about 4,500 people who came to the premiere, and we were just blown away by the number. For these people to see Jesus speak in their own gamma tongue for the first time has got to be a great experience. Boy, seeing the Jesus film here in this country is just mind-blowing. They were so focused, they hardly moved. Their eyes were just glued to the screen. It's just, it just takes your breath away to see the emotion that the people feel, but also the, the emotion that it brings out in my heart to see it for the first time in this environment. I thought, you know, God is really speaking to them. They're not watching a movie. They're having an experience with Jesus Christ. He's speaking to their heart, and they're responding. They were just moved. You could hear them groaning when things would happen. You never see some of the wailing, the children sobbing and crying. They just took my breath away. Just realizing that Jesus came something with a difference. Was it just a little too much to bear? We were excited to see so many come, and most of them young men. What is more of a blessing than seeing people come to the Lord, you know? <laughs> I, can, I cannot think of anything better. Here we are, um, you know, Gateway partners with churches in Peru to see the gospel come to people in their own language, and, and Jesus Film partners with Wycliffe and partners with the church in Ethiopia to see people come to Christ, and, and we in our own lives, right, 
we're trying to minister and reach out to people and for them to come to faith. And I was challenged reading, reading this book uh, by a pastor named uh, Lee Thomas. And uh, just wanted to take a few minutes and talk about some of the things that the Lord challenged me. Uh, I shared this at our, at our church there in West Lafayette. And the pastor got up and said, I'm believing that God's going to answer prayer as we begin to pray for the lost effectively. And one of the cool things, the testimony is that, that a, a young man from China that we had befriended for four years, we, we started some intense praying for Hai Chin, and he finally came to faith. And within a month of being uh, able to share this message, and, um, and he got married just this last week in the church, um, and both he and his wife know the Lord. We, we are urged, Paul urged Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Verse 4 says, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We know that, that God's desire is for everyone to come to salvation. It's easy for us to forget that, though, right? It's easy, it's easy to forget that God wants every terrorist to come to faith. He wants every, every confused transgender person who spews hatred towards, towards Christians, he wants them to come to faith. He, it's, it's hard for us to remember that at atheists, he wants all the atheists, all the people that Wayne gets to work with at, 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 at a university, in the university campuses, Today in the United States, very anti-God. But he wants every one of them to come to faith, right? We know that. It's just one verse. But but we have a part to play by, by committing, giving prayers, petitions, and intercession. What does it mean to intercede? We have examples of intercession. Moses interceded for Israel on different occasions. In Exodus 32, we see where Moses interceded for the nation of Israel. Um, powerful. 32, verse 9. And uh, God makes a statement. Verse 9 and 10, he says, basically says, these people messed up. They've rebelled against me. I'm going I'm to wipe them out. Right? That's God's statement. And Moses doesn't throw up his hands and go, Oh no! He cries out to God and he intercedes. Verse 11, he intercedes and says, Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains? And to wipe them off the face of the face of the earth. Turn your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all the land I promised, and it will be their inheritance forever. And verse 14 is powerful, right? Moses, Moses speaks the word of God 
back to God. It says, God, remember you said this. And then verse 14 says, God relented. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses stuck his neck out for, the, for a whole nation of people. Um, the, we, we are called... Wow, I, I, somehow I was advancing forward, didn't even know. Um, to, to do what Moses did on behalf of people. Samuel, on behalf of the nation of Israel, says, I will intercede for you, 1 Samuel 7.5. David speaks... He says, I, the shepherd, have sinned. He's king at this point. He says, I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord, my God, let your hand fall on me and my family. Do not let this plague remain on your people. Mm-hmm. He, takes, he takes ownership for, for his failings, right? That's a hard thing to do. But then he says, God, let, let the judgment fall on me, not on the people. In Hezekiah, Second Chronicles thirty eighteen. May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. We are called to intercede for people, for nations, for individuals. We have examples in the Bible of that happening. Jesus, the intercessor, in Hebrews 7, 23-25, says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing on in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. We have, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is in heaven. If we intercede for someone, we can intercede on behalf of what Jesus has already done and Jesus is there interceding for them. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him. 1 Peter 21.5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We're called to intercede as priests in the kingdom. Right? You and I. We're called to, to be those who would stand in the gap for the lost around us. We're called to, to be those who would say, he loves, he loves me so much, He loves you. He loves you so much, right? God loves you. Still 1,700 languages in the world. They don't know that God loves them, right? But how many people in my circle don't really know that God loves them? How are they going to know? Because of our witness, right? But we need to be praying. We need to pray and trust that the Lord's doing something in their heart as we are with them, interceding. What does it mean to intercede more? What, with strong arguments. Yeah, Isaiah 41, 21. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Spurgeon takes this, this whole idea concerning pleading, right? Do I, do I plead with, with God on behalf of people? It's pretty pretty uh, in, enlightening uh, convicting maybe statement Spurgeon said it is the habit of faith when she is praying to use please mere prayer sayers who do not pray at all forget to argue with God argue with God 
forget to argue with God, but those who would prevail bring forth their reasons and their strong argument, and they debate the question with the Lord. I need to change the way I pray. Right? I need to be I need to be someone who is who is going before the God and, and saying, God, your word says. This is what your word says, God. The blood of Jesus has already been shed for Haichin. And and what is it, God, that you you're wanting me to pray? How how am I supposed to pray effectively? Uh, Pastor Thomas, who wrote that book that a lot of this comes from, he, he talked about uh, reasons to intercede on the basis of the promises of God. Second Peter 3 9. He said, God, your word says that you're patient. You're not wanting anyone to perish. Lord God, in your patience, Lord, would you bring salvation to this person? Mm-hmm. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, I ask God that you would release your grace that this person would call on your name. We pray in the word of God on behalf of those people that God has put on our lives to bring to salvation. Pray because of the power of God to save. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation. Lord, let your word speak to this person. Open their eyes. Open their minds. Father, bring them to, to understand. 1 Corinthians 1.16 My message and my preaching were not with wise words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. God, release miracles in this person. They don't know you. They don't know you. So, am I praying that they would? Am I praying that God would, would do miracles in their lives? That God would heal them? People that we meet, that we know, right? They, we know they need Jesus. Maybe they even, they you know, curse practically curse the name of God, right? But they need they need a healing. They need you know they're broken. You know they're hurting. We the Spirit, we pray, Holy Spirit, work a miracle in their lives. So the, it's the grace of God expressed in their lives. For by grace are you saved through faith, right? That's that's what the the word says. God is our Father, He's our Creator, He's the Redeemer, He's the Lord. What does that mean? In my life, it means some, so much in my life. On, those, on the basis of who God is, we can stand in the gap for people to be saved. And we need to. God is love. He's, he's mercy. His grace. His long-suffering. All these things are, are present in who God is. And it, it should motivate and, and even change the way I pray for the people around me that are lost. There's issues of the, the personal things that that influence how I pray. In Psalm 66, 18 and 19, if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. The, the desire, I mean, we, we need to be seeking the Lord in our own heart, in our own lives, right? If we're going to be praying effectively for, for the lost around us. Um, in Matthew 9, 21. Jesus touched their eyes and, and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Having faith, trusting that God can do a miracle. It's a miracle, right? Someone is healed physically. Salvation is a miracle. So we're asking God for, for to do a miracle in this person's life, to bring them to salvation. Persistence uh, and perseverance. This is something I, I'm weak in. I'll confess, right? I can pray for a month for someone, 
and I can pray maybe for a year. Uh, there was a, he, he talks about in his book that John Edwards prayed for five men to come to faith. And, and after praying for two years, the first person came. And then another year, another person came. The last person came to faith when his gray, his, his coffin was put in the ground. God bring, brought about salvation in that fifth person. He interceded for years and prayed for years for the salvation of someone. And I'm weak in that, right? I lose focus and forget to pray. Brokenness and travail. Luke 19, 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Do I weep for the lost? Praying for unity. In unity. If two of you agree, it'll be done. Am I praying with someone else and agreeing with someone else for the salvation of this person or that person? Um, The head of the Salvation Army. This woman... Wrote, wrote him and said, my, my son's not coming to salvation. And, and I, I've been praying for years for, for my child to, to come to faith. And he wrote back, try tears. Mm. Try tears. God, God has put us in a, in a position that's it's amazing, right? He cho- chose, chooses us to work through us to affect the lives of people around us. And it's a it's a it's a huge responsibility, really, if we recognize. But it, it's also a huge gift and a blessing to be able to be a part of that, um, to to be effective in in our evangelism is to is to increase the way, change the way we pray, to pray with faith, to pray on the basis of the Word of God, on who God is. And and there's a whole whole section in this that I haven't. At some point, I, I'll even I think I'll I'll give a talk on. But he talks about strongholds. We have the position to tear down strongholds in the lives of people. People that that don't don't know Jesus, they're in bondage, and we are called to to pray deliverance for people so that then they're free to come to faith and to know Him. Amen? Amen. I am I'm so happy to be here, to be able to share just a little bit from the Word. I've got, I've got prayer cards here. Uh, ministry I'm working with, with Wycliffe now. Uh, I'm on five college campuses in the state of Indiana, and I go to Cedarville University in Ohio and, uh, and talk to students like I was saying. You'd be interested in receiving a newsletter uh, and, and joining partnering in prayer possibly even finances take a take a prayer card uh, this other literature here this this, uh, this literature in Moloquo the work the language we were able to work in a little bit of stuff um, I'd be happy to, to talk with you about anything that I've talked about um, but I'm so thankful for the opportunity to have come and be with you and, and share with you are there any questions? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, we are blessed to have the word of God in our own language, and I'm thankful for that. But Lord, 
would you take the word and transform us? Lord, I, I pray, Father, this whole idea that we need to be praying for the lost. Lord, that we would, you would bring us, make us more effective. Lord, and bring more people into the kingdom in the coming months because we've chosen to, to, uh, to up our game. Lord, to, to be more, uh, to seek your face on behalf of people, to intercede more effectively for salvation. Lord, I pray that in this body, with these, my brothers and sisters, thank you, Lord, that you use uh, the word and the spirit of God in us to transform us and to make us more like Jesus. So I pray a blessing on each of my brothers and sisters this morning. That you would open our eyes to greater things, Lord, that you want to do in us and through us. We are blessed to be your children. We're blessed to follow you and to know you. So, Lord, we're thankful. Make our lives a blessing. Make our lives a reflection of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question. Yep. When you say you're a recruiter on your college campuses, what exactly are you recruiting? So these seventeen hundred languages. Right. Um, I'm. I'm. I went and I was able to work in one language for ten years, and so now I'm looking to. I believe I trust the Lord for a hundred people, a hundred people to replace me. On the, on the mission field. And the cool thing is, there's there's over like a thousand open positions. Someone could work just about anywhere in the world. They could do it just about doing anything. Anything. There's a way that you, God's given you skill and you could, you could be involved. And so I'm all about helping people see the need, but see then the opportunity and the potential to be a part of uh, the work of Bible translation. So teachers, administrators, uh, IT, all sorts of IT the teachers in, in grade school and high school, missionary schools, we need, uh, um, what do you call them, not transient, what's, ah, what's the word, itinerant teachers. Uh, we need everybody, all the stuff language-wise, to, be, to do literacy, to do Bible translation, just linguistic analysis, uh, scripture use, once the word's translated, how these people never had the word of God in their language, helping them develop a mindset and a frame of mind to be able to use the scriptures. Um, aviation, we need people that can do all sorts of stuff, aviation, transportation, the Pacific, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific and Indonesia. Some places, the only way you can get there is by boat. And so there's a whole um, a maritime thing as well. Yeah, so internships, look, help people with internships, vision trips, People that are older, you know, I'll, I'll work with you to help you connect with somebody that's going to take, so you can go to Indonesia for a month and see what it would look like, and is this where God's calling me to work? Um, yeah. So it's exciting. God gave me 18 years of experience to be able to then speak about it in a real broad sense with anyone, and that they could be a part. And and um, you know, and some some part of me some says, well, why can't I go back? You know, there's part of me that would just love to, and I and I'm I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to go back to Cameroon more often. But I I went to China this summer, and it wasn't even Wycliffe related. It was it was with my church. But now I, I got on my heart to go back with with four or five students, 
and go into some of these villages that don't have scripture and, and make it a, a combined ministry linguistic thing and exposed these young people to the work of Bible translation. Those are the kind of things I'd like to do. And it's kind of what Crosswave does when they go to Peru to, to ignite vision in the, in the hearts of, of young people that they can be a part of ministry. It's it's the largest translation organization, but there's new tribes, International Mission Board, Pioneers, um, there's Lutheran Bible Translators, Pioneer Bible Translators. So there are lots of different organizations that are involved. Wycliffe is would be the largest. The tagline that Wycliffe has used for the last almost ten years now is that Wycliffe is we're partners in Bible translation. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a big recognition that in order to complete the work of Bible translation, it's going to take more than one organization, mm-hmm. one church, one... And what about recruiting? Has that dropped off? Has that become more of a problem? It's a challenge. We are losing... Wycliffe USA, Wycliffe Bible Translators, we are losing more members than we're gaining every year now. Oh. Because of the organization being around for 70 years, people are retiring and... Aging yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a huge, we're looking for the silver bullet. You know, what's the way, how can we, how can I get 10 recruits? If all of my, if all of my colleagues, if we got 10 recruits every year, mm-hmm. we'd be above, we'd be ahead of the game. But that's a challenge. Young people hear of multiple opportunities, ways they could serve and be a part of multiple ministries. And, and to, to be a part of Wycliffe is kind of it's a different kind of a of, of a commitment it's more of a long term generally speaking it's more of a long term commitment let me just add on a personal note uh, I don't think Alan would share this but I, I feel like uh, this shows the, the heart of the man that he is I, I think that uh, based on what you're hearing and what he said he'd still probably be humoring today I think it's hard to still for that people in the work there really difficult for Liet uh, for a number of years. And I think out of compassion, deference, and, and love for his wife, he chose uh, to come back seeing that God wanted him to be planted and, and working here with us in the United States. So mm-hmm. I just want to share that on, on your behalf. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And well, and then the, the other thing is uh, the, to complete that thought, uh, I, I went overseas in 1987, and computers and everything were just really starting up. Right, I had a clunky, I had a clunky little computer, and and then all the programming happened in the next 15 years, right, into the 90s. And so, I never, I never felt like I was on. I, I had to learn it on the go, right? I, I didn't get to get trained. The cool thing is, again, God gave me 18 years of experience. I can talk about this work in real clear ways and stuff. And now I'm talking to a generation who grew up in this, you know, technology and software and program. Of course you can do it. I bet you could do this and this, you know. And so I'm, I'm working with a generation who's going to see the task of Bible translation completed. Because, and God's gifted them in ways that, that I, can't, I can't do. But, but I have the privilege now of helping them go, oh, I can, be, I can do this? Yeah, you can do it. 
I heard about Bible translation when I was in junior high. I was a seventh grader. I went to a four-hour conference on a Saturday afternoon. And I heard all about languages and linguistics and literacy and Bible translation, mission aviation. We saw a, a documentary movie by Marilyn Laszlo, Come in a Mountain of Light, you know, and it was on a reel, right? Back then when they didn't have, you know. And I, but I came away from that going, I could, I could be a part of Bible translation. I had no clue what that meant. But the Lord captured my heart that day. And he led me through junior high, high school, and college. And I became a member of Wycliffe right out of college. And, and so God is, is going to raise up. Is it, is it hard? Yeah. Is, is recruiting hard? Yeah, because for, for a young person nowadays, I'll, I'll do long term. Sign me up for two years. You know? <laughs> or, you know, and, 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 you know, they're used to mission trips that last 10 days. You know? And I don't even want to call those missions. But what, I, what we did in China, it was an outreach trip. Mm-hmm. We went on a China outreach trip. It wasn't missions. Mission is something that really has to, it really does take long to, to, to see effect, long-term effect. And in, in, you're talking with unreached peoples. It's going to take a long-term commitment. So I'm thankful. The Lord, the Lord has given me experience that now I can, I can sow into the lives of young people. And they can, if they catch that vision... There's, there's no reason why. And, and there is really, we live in a time of history where there's an acceleration of the pace of Bible translation like never before. More languages are being entered and the work's being done in more and more languages that we believe that this generation of young people are going to see, they'll see the last language receive scripture in their language. It's going to happen. But it's God's work, you know, and we're just trying to fit in and, and do what, what he's he's calling us to do so thanks for letting me come and share with you all um partner with you by for with prayer and stuff's a huge huge privilege have have you all put a price tag on what it takes to get a language developed there it's been done um it's been done because there's a there's a uh a program called um one verse, and so you know how much how much money it costs to, to translate one verse, and this is primarily for a New Testament. Um, and I don't I don't know, and it would it would differ, mm-hmm. the circumstances. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 amount of money that it takes, and I'm going to leave this with with you all. Uh, translation in churches, there's a web there's a web presence on Wycliffe's website. There are churches that are partnering with a language, helping they're going to provide the funds for them to translate the gospel of Mark mm-hmm. and to see it launched. Well, and if we did that, well, why not help them with the book of John, you know, and mm-hmm. the gospel of John and, and then and see, see partnership happening that way. Of course, there's partnership in, in supporting individual missionaries as well and stuff, but yeah. They, there's a, there's, you kind of know that it's going to take so much money. Mm-hmm. If the Lord raises up nationals in that group to be trained, then the work can be done more quickly um, and and effectively. There's a lot of stuff going on around how, how can we do this quickly, more quickly. And speed versus accuracy is a challenge always as well. So. Thank you, Alan.
Mm -hmm. Check it out.